0: I think it was about 10 years ago now, she lost her right hand um, when thieves broke into her grandmother's house. They broke into her house. They, uh, Her grandmother and her family was in the other room. She distracted the thieves to get them away from the house, protect her, her family and her grandma. They chased her and essentially they, they hacked off her right hand. She woke up she was in the hospital she learned that her hand was gone it was never going to be able to be brought back
1: welcome to the good athlete podcast the voice of the good athlete project
0: hello everyone this week we're joined by jamie middleman jamie is the founder and host of flame bears an award-winning podcast and the world's first storytelling platform specifically for women olympians and paralympians She founded Flamebearers while receiving her master's in public administration from the Harvard Kennedy School, where she received an award for her significant impact on the Harvard community. Having a background in media, she's also managed a $30 million media portfolio on behalf of the conglomerate of Yahoo!, The Huffington Post, AOL, and Verizon. And most recently, Jamie completed the Boston Marathon. We can't wait for you to hear her story and the amazing stories of the resiliency of Olympic and Paralympic athletes. And now, Jamie Middleman.
1: You are immediately on the heels of a successfully completed Boston Marathon, correct?
0: Correct. But Let's start there. Yeah. Come on. Sure. So um, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Second marathon, did it with my younger sister. Uh, Really was just for fun. Um, But yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: casual, just for fun.
0: No, but honestly, when because I like to caveat that because I do work with elite female athletes. So I don't I don't put on my, you know, sport background as part of my identity. Usually I pitch myself as a marketer, a communicator. But yes. Sports are a big part of my life. I did the Boston Marathon on Monday. I'm still hobbling a little bit, but I uh, managed to go downstairs successfully now without kind of cringing.
2: So it's good.
1: Okay. Wait a minute. So <laughs> tell tell us more about this experience, though, because, I, you know, it, it's funny because whenever people talk about a marathon, the, the story of the initial marathon was, was what?
2: Remember, uh, like the is- Greek
0: the greek guy and then i know he yeah. made it and then he collapsed and, and he died, died. Yeah. yep
1: <laughs> yeah. so but yeah what are you feeling what's your body like what like what's your mind like
0: sure body uh was i think for about two days pretty sore i think we did a pretty good job with our training plan, yeah. so we've gotten up to 20 before um but then we've been through the taper phase but, you know, I think honestly, something I didn't expect was more the intellectual lag. I feel like all of my blood was just going to my body to refuel, replenish, things like that, that I like couldn't think and couldn't function for a couple of days. So yeah. wasn't really expecting that. But we're one week out today. I'm feeling pretty good.
1: Well, congrats again. Uh, intellectual lag or not, that's such a it's such an incredible feat of of mind and body and spirit and all these things. So congrats. Um, can I say something nerdy about the intellectual lag?
0: Do it. Let's go. All
1: right. Sorry. This is so this is um this is something that I recognized actually in power lifters. And we we have one of the initiatives within the Good Athlete Project is called Exercise MVP. So MVP mm. say for minimum viable product. So not training per se. But how could exercise, how can we use ex- exercise to stimulate certain neurological states? How can mm-hmm. we affect, how can we use it as a tool in combating ADD, depression, anxiety, wh- yeah. whatever it might be, like what role could exercise have? And all of the research suggests that once you uh, pass a certain point of intensity,
2: mm-hmm. all
1: the other stuff fades away. <laughs> so so like, like you don't actually, like you probably had some, amazing benefits along the route I would imagine, yes. but, uh, it's such a shock to the nervous system to run a marathon that, um, yeah, uh, like you're, that's it, your brain, your nervous system fully connected the intellectual lag while uh-huh. you're pairing makes total sense.
2: That's so
0: interesting. You mentioned, so I actually have diagnosed OCD. So I think a lot of the reasons why I was personally so into sport has been because of those benefits that I kind of receive along the wow.
1: way. Tell us more about that, please. OCD.
0: Sure. Um...
1: <laughs> if if you're, you, you like, don't feel like you have to overshare.
0: No, totally. I'm totally fine talking about it. Um, okay. Essentially. So it's, it's a little cringeworthy if I'm going to be totally honest. Uh, okay. Grew up pretty obsessive about certain things. I had a lot of repetitive thoughts around death, around performance, around things like that. Um I actually used to have like hour long routines that I had to do in specific orders before I could go to bed. Um if someone like came into my room, interrupted me, had to start over. Um, so I think sport for me had been a huge way to kind of break through those patterns, to be honest.
2: Wow.
1: Can you say more about that? What what sport in particular or just sports in general?
0: Yeah. So let's see. I I was I played soccer in college. Um yeah. I what college? I, Middlebury College in Vermont. Love Amazing.
1: Amaz- in I, I know <laughs> I come from a Williams family. So Oh,
0: I I'm so the sorry bias for your for loss. Moment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry to hear that. So let's see. Right. But, um I, I almost ran track there. I was I was a sprinter, so not a distance runner. So the shift to do a marathon is definitely not in my genes, but we went for it. And then I was a ski racer too. Uh but I think wow. Yeah, I think growing up anything related to sport and just being active, I love like hiking, biking. Um, I'm a certified yoga instructor, so anything active is kind of my jam.
1: And what do you think? And and why so? Why was that such a good remedy for uh, the compulsive behaviors?
0: Yeah, and um, I don't have the the scientific talk that you do, if you will, no. but. I think there's a couple of things. Growing up, it was always how I connected with other people. So my dad was my my earliest soccer coach. My parents taught me to ski. Um, A lot of our family time together was usually spent being active. So I Mm -hmm. think it was where I got a lot of connections and relationships. I also, you know, and again, you're probably going to be able to speak to this better from a scientific perspective, but I just felt so much better. I felt like Mm -hmm. I was able to get out of my head and really it felt meditative to me.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's um, and and whenever I look down, I'm taking notes here. I don't know if you can see this with my Hawaiian backdrop, but um you just it's okay. I'm boring you. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. I'm just I'm just putting together a puzzle down here trying to trying to be entertained. No, that that is so powerful, just felt better. Now, you, you know, someone probably could try to loosely identify what neurochemicals and hormones might've been at play, yeah. but but it's almost irrelevant. That's like, that's good understanding to have, I think, but just your self-awareness that like, Hey, this makes me feel better yeah. and feel more connected. I heard those are two Thanks. powerful statements.
2: Thanks.
0: Yeah. It's um, I, I feel pretty lucky that, you know, I, I grew up in a family where I was able to do that. I do think it's, it's a privilege to be able to you know, have access to those spaces to have the time to be able to do that. So I think in that sense I was really lucky and then kind of jumped jumped two feet in.
2: Yeah.
1: Seriously, to um arguably the second best um NESCAC oh,
2: school. Oh, oh
0: yeah. okay. Um, Fighting words. Okay.
1: Apologies. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry.
1: I mean, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what I mean, NSCAC, New England uh small college athletic conference, it's it's a it's an amazing Collection of schools and Middlebury is one of the best in the country, without question. Um, so, th- those are two powerful things, and that helped you. It's funny that you bring that up, and you know we hadn't connected on this before talking about it. But like the the conversation of um, OCD and sport and superstition, et cetera, et, okay. et cetera, that narrative is woven together pretty deeply for a lot of folks. I, and I don't mean to make your story anything less than unique. Uh, but it, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting, isn't it?
0: Totally. And, and I, I don't feel like my story is frankly, that interesting or unique, because I realize mm-hmm. that so many people have similar stories and backgrounds. What I think is wild, though, is growing up, I had no idea that that was a thing. I didn't even know that I had OCD until I got to college. I didn't even know it existed. Really? I just thought- Oh, no, I had no clue. Um, I, I was not even aware that there was actually a medical condition, that this was a thing. I just thought I, I was strange and had weird behaviors and quirks, and I frankly had to hide them from other people. So it was really embarrassing. Um, and then it was at a much later point when I realized, oh, this makes a lot more sense now, Um but yeah, I think I think in general there's a massive shift with people you know sharing their stories, yep. making other people feel like they're not alone, um and helping people contextualize their experiences in in a much larger picture because I didn't realize that this is a thing that, you know, millions of people have.
1: You and I'm definitely making notes on this because it, it just aligns so well, Jamie, with with a bunch of initiatives that we've got going on right now. Team Embrace is another one of our initiatives, and it's all about embracing the conversation of mental health in hmm. the athletics space uh,
2: sure.
1: should be full of all these things you mentioned. Connection, good feeling, neurochemical production in appropriate uh, amounts. But also, you know, people talk about teams as like a family or just your mm-hmm. sport culture is like f- familial. Like you, sh- these are spaces that you should be able to talk about this stuff. Um, helping people add context to what they're going through. I f- mm-hmm. I feel for the younger you, like just thinking that the, you yeah. know everybody has a hour long routine that if it's interrupted has to start from the beginning. <laughs> and I'm just yeah, you know. um, or, or, or I'm or I'm strange and and, and weird and for anyone else who's maybe going through something like that, I, you know, I've, what, one thing that we've recognized is that um, that will often cause uh, cause a supplementary or really a parallel cycle of of guilt and shame. And, and mm. even just having to, you mentioned having to hide it, totally. like the burnout that comes with having to hide this, this habit or this affliction I, countless people with ADD say the same thing, anxiety right. and like this, this becomes a soup of concern, but, um but here you are
0: here I am here I am and you know I I think I give a lot of credit to uh my family for helping me realize what what was going on and giving me the resources to be able to take care of myself because if I I didn't have that I think I probably still would have been in this this constant loop of of not knowing what I was doing really and not being able to name it and identify it I think step one was being able to say okay this is what you have. This is what that means. Now, if you want to, you know, change what that means for you, these are the steps. But I wouldn't have right. even gotten there if I didn't have the support to be able to to name it.
1: That's amazing. So. support. Well, I Shout appreciate out mom you. and dad. <laughs> there you go. Uh to so the middlemans. The uh is that how you <laughs> pronounce it?
0: You got it. Yep.
1: Got it. The um, well, yeah, the, it, fantastic. And now you um you transitioned then into what path from this elite soccer career?
0: Elite, elite, elite. Um, No, I actually, I actually stopped playing soccer in college because it got to me. Um, So it it kind of got to a phase where it was no longer fun for me, um, to be honest. And I just stopped. I said, okay, this is no longer the sport that I love. Um, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I moved to Southeast Asia. I moved to Bangladesh, the hot spot for tourism around the world, of course. And I worked at That was a joke. Um, (laughs) The first liberal arts school for girls in Asia. Thank you. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really cool. So I worked, had students from all over the continent. um, And here I was, you know, a little white girl from outside of Boston, working with women from Afghanistan, uh, who had very different upbringings than me. So yeah. That was an incredible experience, but I think I quickly became frustrated with my inability to reach more than just the 15 students in my classroom. Um, I loved the ability to influence how people thought, and but I kind of was itching to have a slightly bigger reach and to be able mm. to work with people beyond the confines of the classroom. Decided I wanted to do marketing and communication, but for causes that I believed in. And transitioned into a corporate social responsibility role where I managed a media portfolio on behalf of charitable causes. So it was the tech company that was changed names a million, million of times. It's Yahoo, TechCrunch, The Huffington Post, AOL. Um, and essentially every year they would donate a ton of advertising space and editorials to charitable causes. And my job was allocating it. So oh. I kind of got to be at the intersection of for-profits and nonprofits, Yeah. being right. able to impact how people thought at a larger reach, um, but within the confines of a for-profit environment, which I thought was nice because I was no longer having to write grants and kind of be at the beck and call of donors. Um, right. Was there for five years and then uh, went to business school. I was looking around at my company and, Noticed who was getting promoted and, frankly, who was not getting promoted. Realized that um, that was kind of one of my areas of weakness. I didn't have a lot of the the hard quantitative skills that a lot of people in my organization who were at the seat level had. So I, I went to uh, Dartmouth for business school. Um,
2: heard of it. Loved
0: it. Heard of it. Um, <laughs> snuck in under the radar.
2: Yeah.
0: And had an incredible experience there. And when I was there, I I realized that I wanted to work at the intersection of public-private partnerships. So some of my favorite work um, in corporate social responsibility had been bringing together stakeholders from all the different sectors.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and I had had nonprofit experience. I had now had for-profit experience. I worked on Obama's 08 campaign, but besides that, I had never worked with the government at all.
2: Mm-hmm. So that
0: was why I decided to go back um, for more school and, uh, get a, get a master's, uh, in public policy.
1: And from what school was that?
0: Um, I went to Harvard.
1: I've also heard of that one. All right. So you're three for three on high quality (laughs) schools. Um, and now you use all that brain power to serve the world.
0: Yes. I I hope so. Um, it was between my years at, at Harvard. It's kind of funny. I had been pitching an internship, the International Olympic Committee and had spent literally half a year networking my way to the board of directors to be able to pitch this role. And there was some interest in it. And then COVID happened and the Olympics and Paralympics were postponed for a year.
2: Yeah.
0: And I had spent so much time and energy on crafting what I thought would be an incredible role that basically I was like, you know what? Fine. If we don't know if the Olympics and Paralympics were going to happen, I still think this work can be done. And I'm going to do it on my own. I applied for funding within Harvard. I built a team. I onboarded advisors who knew a lot more about this stuff than I did. And I just started going. So essentially, um, the role I had been pitching had been around the IOC's Elevating Women in Sport campaign. So Mm. they do a ton of awesome work around diversity, equity, inclusion. But um, from my perspective, there was some opportunity around telling the world about all the awesome stuff they do. Yeah. So given my background in the communication space, I was like, you know what, let me help tell the world about all the awesome, awesome women who you support. Um, So it started off as just a podcast. Now, three years ago, we are the preeminent storytelling platform for elite female athletes. So we tell their stories in different ways. Podcast is one spoke of the wheel. We also do live events and we're getting into video production, but across all of them, the theme is elevating their stories the way they want them
1: told. That's incredible.
0: Thanks.
1: (laughs) Really, It is. It's such an accomplishment. It's such it's important work. Thank you for doing it. Um, What are some of your favorite stories? I, I, uh, there's one name that I want to bring up, but I'll hold. I want to hear what your favorite stories are.
0: You know, I, I struggle with this question because I feel like I'm being asked to choose amongst choose my, my unborn children. Um, every athlete I've worked with has honestly given me such a gift and taught me something different. And I think the athletes who I've been most inspired by, they're either athletes who I grew up idolizing um, because I know who they am and they have the star power of their name. Or frankly, they're athletes who... No one has ever heard of, but I think deserve the credit that, mm-hmm. that they should have. Um, I recently worked with Masuma Alizada of Afghanistan. She's on the, the refugee team. So a couple things. A lot of people are not aware of the fact that there is an Olympic refugee team. No. Um wow. essentially what it is, it's athletes from war-torn countries, and they are given the ability to participate in the Olympics on this large team that brings together athletes from various refugee communities. So Masuma was talking to me about growing up in Afghanistan, um, having to relocate and flee to Iran. And essentially her experience as a cyclist, you know, having to dress up as a man when she's cycling, having to be to be surrounded by male cyclists while she's riding. And then if someone does realize she's a woman, they basically throw stuff out at her, like hit her, um, really crazy stuff. So I think what's so incredible for me about that is it's it's just a totally different experience
2: yeah. that
0: I've had. Um, it's incredibly, I think, humbling and honoring, frankly, for me to be able to elevate someone like that story. I think there's a huge trust factor there. Huge, yeah. In general, um, certain athletes don't feel like the media is on their side. So to be able to have an athlete who's been, through a lot of difficult situations, put their trust in me and put their trust in my companies. It does mean a lot to me, and I, I take that really seriously. And then I think there's also she she carries a lot of weight on behalf of her community. So mm-hmm. she really, you know, she was competing in the Olympics when the U.S. left Afghanistan this past summer. I guess it was yeah. two summers ago. Um, so it was really interesting to hear the dynamic of having her lifelong dream come true. No one in her home paying attention to this because guess what? They're all running out of their homes because bombs are being dropped on them. And then thinking about how totally different my experience with sport has been than right. that, um, it's it's wild.
1: Wild is like an understatement. <laughs> what what? Yeah, I'm so glad that you're shining a light on stories like that. So can I? I'm gonna double back on one of the details you shared. Yeah. Um, just out of ignorance people were throwing things at her be- when when they found out she was a woman. Women are not allowed to ride bicycles. Is this like...
0: Exactly. Um, so women are not allowed to ride bicycles. It's also, frankly, um, that's it's not considered something that women are allowed to do or supposed to do. They, she was considered a bad woman because um, she's not supposed to be exercising.
1: She's not supposed to be exercising?
0: No, yeah. The idea of being in a public space and exercising is hugely taboo.
2: So the idea of, of being able
0: to exercise, yeah, totally. The idea of even being able to exercise is the privilege that I think, you know, me as a white woman, I've totally taken advantage of and have not thought of as a privilege. It's I like to think the idea that anyone has the right to play, the right to be able to go out. But I think in certain countries, it's actually not something that um, a lot of women are able to do.
1: Well, let's not name religions or anything too specific here, mm-hmm. but I would just say, and you put me in my place, Jamie. If I need to, that is like a freaking—that's a travesty, a tragedy. It, that it's a totally. that's absurd. How do how do people navigate that? How do people?
2: Yeah, um, that's the
1: thing in the modern world.
0: Totally, it's very very different. Um, I think fear is at least from what I have heard from the woman I've worked with here is a, a huge motivating factor. Um, just two weeks ago, I was able to bring Masuma's teammate from Afghanistan to the Harvard women's conference and talk about her experience. And her name is rukhsar She was the the founding member of the Afghan cyclist team. Um, and she was telling me that her family was very scared for her to do this because it put a massive target on their back um, that when the Taliban came in, they had to relocate because everyone knew who they were. (laughs) So I think a lot of people are.
1: Because their daughter rode a bike.
0: Exactly. Yep, exactly. Um, And it's, it's something that from our perspective, we kind of hear and, and it's crazy to us, but for her and for her brother and her family, that's their world.
1: I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort of like, I want yeah. to dig on this, but I also am trying to bite my tongue to an extent. <laughs> like, like there's, um. if it was just taboo and sort of frowned upon, yeah, it's like, all right. You know, it's like, if it was the equivalent of what some people would consider eating meat on Fridays or whatever, and it's like, shame on you. Right. Okay, fine. But the idea that that one's safety would be in question it, um, makes me feel pretty uncomfortable.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's, it's interesting. So um, Masuma was telling me she never was able to to ride her bike, literally just wearing normal female clothes. She wasn't able to do that because the risk was too high. She also was never able to once ride without a male escort because the risk was too high. Um, so it's not even just like going out for a casual bike ride on your own. She had to take precautions that I mean, you or me kind of thinks are astronomically high for just to be able to go outside and ride or bike.
2: Yeah. Pretty wild. I've, just, <laughs> I've
1: decided to take my uh, my Hawaiian background off here. <laughs> <to get the laughs> subject matter. Sorry. It, it, it was too light for the depth of subject matter. All right. Well, I, that is wild. And I, and, and that's part. It's a huge part of this. So thank you for, for um, allowing some visibility. for for their stories um you you have a lot of powerful stories like that one of the athletes that i sort of scanned on the pod on your podcast where can people find your podcast by the way
0: um flamebearers.com we're also on apple podcast spotify wherever you. okay yep all right Mm -hmm. deal
1: um so i i'm not going to pronounce it correctly but it's rita r-i-t-a-h
0: yes from uganda
1: yeah how do you spell the last name or how do you how do you say the last name? Simway.
0: Rita Simway.
1: Simway. Okay. We tell us a little of her story because it is sure. pretty wild.
0: Yeah. So Rita uh, is currently the the number one para badminton player from all of Africa. Um, I think it was about ten years ago now. She lost her right hand. She was a she was a righty um, when thieves broke into her grandmother's house and. They broke into her house. They, uh, Her grandmother and her family was in the other room. She distracted the thieves to get them away from the house, to protect her her family and her grandma. They chased her and essentially they they hacked off her right hand. Um, she woke up, she was in the hospital. Um, she learned that her hand was gone. It was never going to be able to be brought back. And she shared about what it had been like to, essentially, relearn how to do everything with her other hand, including uh, play Batman. And now she's the number one ranked player in all of Africa. Um, wow. And it's incredible because, you know, here you have someone who has gone through so much and at the same time, she's still struggling for, you know, just to be able to go to compete because financing for a pair of athletes in Africa is not really uh, very commonplace. So here's someone who's already had to go through so much. She's picked up the sport, relearned it with the, the other side of her body, and she's still fighting tooth and nail to uh, be able to compete on the world stage.
1: Is there, I mean, what what an amazing story. There are, the immediate question I have is like, th- does she still need financing? Is there a place that people can donate and all that?
0: There is, I'm happy to share. We we started, we have a GoFundMe page for Rita. we're trying to to help her out um but she's she's already done all the the hard work but um we're just trying to raise awareness for it within the global community i think there's there's a number of athletes like rita who have busted their butts and frankly i think there's just not the international awareness for their for who they are uh because pretty much all media coverage goes to able-bodied athletes and then if you are an athlete with a disability and you happen to be born in the global south—that's kind of like two strikes against you from normal media's perspective. Um, sure. But very few of them actually get the coverage I think they deserve.
1: Well, Jamie, we, we um, thank you also for sharing this. We, we, I please do share the GoFundMe if there's anything. Sure. What's your? Do you have an Instagram? Is it? We yours? Or is it?
0: Nope, we have one. We, ha- yeah. we have one for Flame Bears too. Is it- just oh, Flame Bears.
1: It's just at Flame Bearers. There you go. Okay, done. Um, we might have to link up on how to push that GoFundMe forward a little bit.
0: Would love that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. What um, I mean, what a triumphant story. I, I think a lot. It makes me think about a lot of things, and I and uh, one of them is, I wonder what it takes for someone to go through something as terrifying and traumatic as that and first of all and not collapse entirely but then to come back like stronger almost in a sense to have to go through the whole process again
0: totally It, it was really interesting i i sat down with rita's classmate so she was rita's friend when she lost her hand in second grade and she said you know A week after this, she came back to school and she said, I don't want anyone treating Manny differently. I'm the same old Rita. Don't feel bad for me. I don't want anyone looking at me like I'm different. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be pitied. Um, And that's, I think, one of the the common threads that I've seen through a lot of these stories is athletes who are very successful, (laughs) at least from what they have shared, don't like anyone to ever look down upon them. They don't want people to feel bad for them. They want to be seen as the competitors that they are and for what they actually bring to the table.
1: All right. I want to know three things. So that was just number one across all these interviews. What are three things that that these like common themes? So I hear they don't want, uh, they don't want pity. They don't want people to look down on them. Is that one of them?
0: Definitely one of them. Um, I would say, okay, number one, because all the athletes I work with, are are women so yeah. paralympians and olympians i'd say all of them i think in general are pretty pretty pissed at like the lack of coverage around female athletes in particular less than four percent of sports media coverage goes to women so that's 96 percent of sports media coverage going to male say, say that
1: stat one more time
0: 96 percent of sports media coverage goes to male athletes so that's 96 percent less than four percent so um I think one of the one of the general themes is a lot of them are frankly really fed up with this Uh, and because they're they're busting their butts, they're out there every day, just like their male counterparts. And I think a yeah. lot of them don't feel like they are getting the credit that they deserve. That said, um they're not looking for pity. So that's definitely one of the other ones. I think one of the other themes that's come through loud and clear is that they've all gotten to where they are with the support of other people. So Mm. I think it's super easy for all of us to glorify and idolize the person who we see as, as the athlete. But I think, and I'm not saying don't do that. They are, they are the person who's, who's making stuff happen. But every single time I've sat down with these athletes, they are very quick to point out the village of support behind them, be it their, Mm. their families, their partners, their, their aunts, their uncles, their friends, their teammates, who got them to where they are and the sacrifices that all those people made to be able to enable their dreams to come true. So I think there's just a lot of conversations and people in their lives that we don't get to see and frankly give credit to that are right. a huge part in in getting them to where they are today. Um, a fourth one, if, if that's allowed. Please. <laughs> would be, um, I think there's a feeling that athletes kind of have to be robots and a lot of them are sick and tired of it the ability that yeah. they, you know, they have to just perform no matter what's going on in their life. And the fact that they're actually human is something mm. that I think is bubbling up more and more. And I mm-hmm. love that athletes are actually kind of throwing down the gauntlet and saying, no, I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm depressed. No, I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm, you know, having an off day. And I think the trend towards being open about their mental health is, is amazing.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm glad you added the fourth, as I, as we talked about before the the whole team embrace narrative. We're going to go ahead and just credit the Good Athlete Project with everything you just said. That's a joke. No, we we're, we're one small drop in this this river of consciousness that's that's flowing toward uh, mental health awareness and support and all these things. And and I'm going to linger there just for a second because you said so many good things in those four bullets. Um, but but yeah, to be athletes more human. I like I have some pretty probably if if like first to stay on theme, like I played football for 16 seasons
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, I wasn't good enough to play in the NFL, but I played for as long as I could. I played in the arena league. I played in Europe for a couple of years. I really, I maxed whatever I had. Sure. And that's, that, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but, but the tendency to turn down the volume on the things that make you truly human, mm.
2: uh, that
1: narrative is alive. And, 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 you know, and, and to be fair, I challenged it at every turn I could. I'm going to pat myself on the back loosely. Like I'm I'm very happy to say I was in the I was a captain of my football team in high school and I was in the APR program. I was the wow. only guy on our football team in college that was a studio art major. Incredible. I would, you know, like thank yes. you. And it's just these are like one offs but like I was always you know I I was always quick to challenge what it meant to be that thing and yep. still even still I fell into it. And, you know, and, and blocked certain emotions over time and, and was reluctant to reveal my vulnerability and things like that. And totally. uh, I always, it was always really unsettling. So it was like in this amazing place and I had similar experience to you, the community or, or the, uh, yeah, you know, the community, the, the connection rather that sport offered that was mm-hmm. there football for me massively felt good. Like I just really liked it.
2: Totally. It
1: was always this undercurrent of, well, you can't be your, fully yourself here. Um, so it's, I'm just glad that you said that. Yeah. I think, I think the narrative is more alive than ever. And I would, I would also offer this to people like the conversation of mental health is not always around injury. It's, you know, like I worry that some people in certain spaces are like, especially the, the realm I came from um, they had been so hesitant. It's like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not soft. I'm not, well, look, every time you think sports psychology, every time uh, you are uh, sort of deliberately nurturing the, the processes of the mind in any capacity to get ready for a game film study, uh, totally. routine, like that's all in the greater conversation of mental health. It doesn't have to be response to injury. Um, yeah. anyway, so, so changing the narrative is huge.
0: It's so it's Thank so you. interesting. You said that, um, I had the chance to work with Deja young. So she's a three-time Paralympic track and field star. We're definitely going to see her in Paris she was really open about her attempt to commit suicide between her years of college, not injury related at all. Mm. It was just because her performance, one, she came out really hot her freshman year, her sophomore year wasn't as good. And I think the toll that that took on her emotionally was massive. She's also really open about the fact that she now has postpartum depression. And guess what? That has nothing to do with her running performance. It's all very, very different. Uh, But again, people are not talking about that.
1: That's right. No, you're right. And that's actually, and I, and I didn't, I wasn't clear enough. I was referring to like, almost like mental injury. Like mm, like thinking I that they need, like you don't, this, the, the conversation of mental health does not need to be an intervention it's or right. a response to a, a break of some kind. And you know, right. it's, it's yeah. In, in fact, uh, I would encourage everyone to um, invest in their own mental health in whatever ways they could, including going to therapy before you think you need it. It's funny. I had a, a guy in my gym, uh, of one of uh, our coaches, we were cutting a, uh, we finished a meeting. He said, I have to go work out. And this guy's, he's pretty jacked up. He's in great shape. And, uh, someone challenged him. They're like, you don't come on, you don't have to work out. Uh, hmm. like you don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to work out referring to the idea that he was already very fit. Like, yeah, And he was like, well, I don't have to go to the gym because I go to the gym. So this is you know like and I think the same thing uh, aligns like or applies to totally. mental health. Like if you if you're waiting for a significant concern to go seek some sort of support or to investigate your own mental your own wellness, uh, that feels like a faulty paradigm we've 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 set up uh, probably on a systems level, definitely in sports at least more often than not. So, thanks for changing that narrative, Jamie. Cool
0: being a small part of it. They're the athletes are doing the hard work. I'm just giving them the mic. So
1: there's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, well, I love, I love that. Well, they didn't have a mic. Otherwise there's less than 4% coverage. Yeah. So
2: Crazy. I, <laughs> I
1: want to, I want to dig into that because I used to do this presentation for international women's day, actually all around
2: Ooh, cool. yeah.
1: the, uh, so the coverage thing, you know, the pushback that some people will give, uh, and I'm not even going to, I'm yeah. not even take the perspective. I wanted to like first person do it just, host a a false debate here, a fake debate. Uh I don't want anyone to clip it. So I'm not going to say it, but the pushback that (laughs) someone would give is, well, it's capitalism. That's how it works. You know, people aren't going to the games. People don't want to watch on TV. And, uh, you know, so that's why there's not enough coverage. Mm -hmm. And my response to them is usually, Fair enough. Actually, you know, once you get to the professional ranks, the Olympics, this is not, I I think college and high school, these are educational spaces. So equity is a demand, not a, it shouldn't be a question mark.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Once you get into the professional ranks, it is a business fair Mm -hmm. enough, but I think it's right to acknowledge that the reason there are so many eyeballs on the things that there are eyeballs on is because for decades and decades and decades, that's the, we, we created the desire. We created Right.
0: Totally.
2: What, what, yeah what, what's
0: so interesting um and I think there's there needs to be more emphasis on on this is that it takes emotional connections for people to have fandom so I'm, right. a, I'm a Red Sox fan because I grew up in Boston my parents took me to Red Sox games so yeah, guess what that's right. I, I support the Red Sox if baby boomers didn't take us To sports, women's sports games growing up, I'm probably not going to be the most diehard women's sports fan unless I have some moment in my life or someone in my life who is a professional female athlete. So it just takes time. You can't wake up overnight and have a fan base created who's going to go to the WNBA because it's the right thing to do. I would love for that to happen. Like 10 out of 10 times, that would be the ideal. But someone's not going to go save the rainforest because I say, hey, go save the rainforest. They're going to have to actually be emotionally invested in it.
1: And it
2: just takes time.
1: It it, it does take time. It takes it. Well, it takes visibility. It's understanding, motivation, access. And I think initiatives like yours are building that. Uh, One of the things that I used to end that um, presentation with was I asked for a show of hands. Uh, I was like, who likes who likes basketball? This audience. Okay. And they were, you know, and usually they were large audiences. So who likes basketball? A lot of hands raised. Uh, how many of you have been to a Chicago Bulls game? We're here in Chicago over the last two years. And yes. like 70% of the hands, 70%. Uh-huh. And how many of you have been to a Chicago Sky game? And this is an uh-huh. audience of primarily women. Yeah. And like four hands go up. Totally. And and so it's just, and it's not, it's not meant to uh, distribute guilt. It's just meant to like bring some awareness and then we follow up. And how many of you have a Chicago sky t-shirt or a Jersey or something? Like if you you have to put dollars into the pockets of these women, if you want the women to have dollars in their pockets, you are, you're the piece.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, that's one of the, when people are always saying, okay, what do I do about it? So it's like, okay, cool. Like go to a game, go be an active fan, go go be a fan, buy the Jersey. Because guess what? If you have kids, take them to the game and they're going to then grow up idolizing those players but it's not oh, something exactly. that you know if you don't do it it's really easy to point fingers i don't think that's the solution though
1: totally do. I'm, I'm like i couldn't agree with you more i could not agree with you more i think it's an it's such a awareness is such an important first step and it's a first step period totally and so so what's what's the follow-up and and it's out and you're doing that honestly like i'm i'm a fan of rita I'm interested now in the international right. badminton scene in a way that I would <laughs> exactly. have never have been before.
2: You exactly. Know, and, and that
1: does matter. And that's going to, and, and let's just use this as a micro, like just a and look at the ripple effect of that. I think it's very possible there'll be dollars in, in the GoFundMe to support Rita, you know, and some people don't want, it's hard to quantify totally. impact in, in, in a narrative in like the way that we're all doing this, but like y- you're doing something meaningful is what it comes thank, down to. Thank
0: you. you I appreciate it. It's, I think I, I credit my, my MBA in the sense where I'm trying to fuel the demand. Like it's mm. easy to have people, you know, I'm I'm a fan, but I need to get other people to care and other people to tune in. And in order to do that, I need to incentivize them to care. So now that you're a fan of Rita, you know, you're going to share her GoFundMe page, but yeah. um, it it just takes other people getting on board. You can't just add more supply. You also have to get people to care.
1: Yeah, you have to get people to care. It's exactly right. All right. Well, what um, what else should people care about? Where where can people Ooh. find you? Like, what what are the important important topics? Um, what would you like to share with our audience? Who's a great audience, by the way?
0: I believe it. I believe it. Well, I'm never going to tell them what they should care about, but okay. we definitely want them in our community. Um, I think it's a, uh, it's kind of a trope where people are like, oh, this you only talk to women athletes. Why? Are, are you a man hater whatever i'm not even going to entertain that line of thought i'm just so sick and tired of that we're not even going to go there but the point being uh we're, we're very eager to have more men in our community i think it's really important we're building out a whole program for male athlete ambassadors um who want to be more involved in the gender equity space um Love
2: so that.
0: if you are interested Follow us on social. We have a um, an email newsletter on our website. Subscribe, and there's going to be updates on that to come. Because um, I think this is not just a problem for women. It's a problem for everyone. Um, and likewise, great. the solution will never be able to be uh, handled by just half the population. So um, that's kind of where I land on that. I ran the, the Harvard Women's <laughs> Conference, and every year I was the person doing the male allyship workshop. Like, yeah. great, this is awesome. But... Guess what we're not going to do is we're not going to make progress if we only invite women here.
2: No, no.
1: I'm so, you know, and I, and I, and I'm always hesitant to add my two cents for perhaps obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. but like from purely impact-based reasons. Yeah. You would, you, I would imagine you don't want to alienate half the population who, by the way, has 96% of the eyeballs on it.
0: Yeah. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Totally.
1: If you're going to make a move, I think you need the team.
0: Totally agreed. Um, we're, we have some exciting updates um, on the video documentary series space can't quite give you the full full lowdown yet but we have some good stuff coming up so again Love it. trying to get into storytelling in different ways and then um that's about it I just we're trying to build our community
1: I, I well I, I hope that anyone listening to the good athlete podcast recognizes that there's such a a, a deep alignment that they go check out your podcast immediately, your website immediately, and be part of that community. Uh, if we could ever be of support, um, I mean, we're going to try to be, just just okay. after this conversation, hearing some of your stories, um, male athlete ambassadors pushing forward stories of people like Rita, um, and and like you, like your story is an inspiring one. Uh, you know, you are, uh, you, I was going to say a bad word. I was going to say BA, that stands <laughs> for, for Badass. Uh, we we can blur, we can beep that if we <laughs> want to, but that but it's awesome yeah. and it's inspiring and 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 good for you. And I hope people see this um, and keep this whole thing rolling.
0: Thanks. Well, I'm I'm psyched to learn more about your guys's work. It seems like you're doing some really cool stuff.
1: Well, we we sure do our best, and we like doing it a lot. So, <laughs> uh, well, more alignments to come. And please know that if you ever have anything, um, you're you're welcome to share our platform, and, and we'll help okay. get it out to the world.
0: Totally. Thank you so
1: much. Thanks Uh, for all you're doing. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations, one of them is up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks, they've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group, they do holiday cards, they do wedding cards, they help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high-quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at MightyPrint.com. That's M-I-T-E, Print, P-R-I-N-T.com. And on Instagram, same
2: thing, at MightyPrint, M-I-T-E, Print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.